when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey there, listener of this podcast. I've got a quick little thing I'd love to chat with you about. Are you a regular So That Happened listener? Well, let us know. Send me an electronic communication with your electronic communicating devices at so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Tell us what you think of the show, what we're messing up, and who you'd like to hear more from or more about. Okay, back to the program. This podcast contains explicit language. So, that happened. This week, let's talk about you. What kind of stuff do you like to read on HuffingtonBoast.com? And how do we provide it when Congress takes off a day early to avoid a snowstorm? Senior politics editor Paige Lavender will explain. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court took up a challenge to Obamacare. If you like your health insurance, will you get to keep it? We talked to health care reporter Jeff Young about how nine people in robes could become the Affordable Care Act's final death panel. Finally, you might have heard that Scott Walker doesn't know whether President Obama is a Christian, but did you know that Scott Walker kicked labor unions in the balls this week? Labor reporter Dave Jamison tells us all about it. I'm Arthur Delaney, and here's what happened first. All right, welcome back to So That Happened. I'm Arthur Delaney, filling in this week for Jason Lincolns, and I'm joined by Paige Lavender. Say hello, Paige. Hi, hello, Paige. Paige, is, <laughs> Paige edits the politics page. I do. And she's one of several people who does that, but right. I believe it's you are the senior most. The, the senior most, yes, that's, that's true. I've been doing it the longest of the group that does it now. How long have you been doing it? <clears throat> Going on four years now. Oh, wow. Yeah. We've also got with us Jeff Young. Also, you, you may know him actually by his byline, Jeffrey Young. That's right. I'm very formal in writing. And he is our senior health care reporter. Well, actually, John Cohen is older than I am, so I guess that makes him the senior health care reporter. Uh, in, in, the, in the senior citizen sense. <laughs> but in terms of seniority within the company, I don't think he's leapfrogged you. No, no. I, it, it's going to take him longer than a month. I've been here three years. Yeah, I think you're the senior healthcare reporter. Sure, I'll now. take I'll yeah. take it. And right. it was a it was a huge week for healthcare. We'll come to that, but before we get there, I want to talk about the weather because we had some awesome weather this week. It okay. snowed. It was a very pretty snow if you were inside looking out. Yeah, which yeah. most of us were, yeah. weren't we? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing all day until it stopped snowing and I went out to shovel and then it wasn't so pretty yeah. anymore. Yeah, outside it was kind of a slushy snow, yeah. uh, the kind that seeped into your boots as quickly as possible. I did not appreciate the uh, the slushiness of it. You know, I, I, if either of you or anyone listening has any advice, I, I have a I have a snow-related dilemma I, I can't figure out how to solve. Well, let's, this is the place for that. All right, yeah, that's right. So my neighbor two doors down just doesn't shovel his walk. 
uh, just doesn't do it. Yeah. Uh, So for the last two weeks, it's been treacherous ice or giant piles of snow made worse, in my view, on a moral sense, by the fact that there's a grade school right next to our houses and a church that old ladies go to right around the corner. Mm. So, you know, I mean, I'm trying to figure out what what sort of criminal charges I can bring against this dude. Um, he owns a business right across the street, and they shovel the walk there. He actually would be so. subject to fines under District of Columbia law yeah. within a certain number of hours after snow stops falling. You are supposed to shovel, unless he's a renter, in which case it's No, he landlord. owns the building. It, well, here's what you actually should do, though. You should just shovel it for him. It's No, it's way too much. Oh, it's a lot? It's a, yeah, he's got, he's got the corner house, so it goes all the way. Mm-hmm. So I guess that just to close this off, do you, do you think there's a, an exception to the stop snitching rule when it has to do with snow and ice? Uh, before snitching, I would put an anonymous note through his door. Like, yeah. hey, hey, shovel, man. Yeah. Yeah, a note. That's the way I would go. So, uh... You mentioned that it was beautiful from inside. Yes. Uh, we were all inside. Uh, a lot of people got a snow day. Kids didn't have to go to school. Mm-hmm. But the politics page doesn't stop That's working. True. And none of us really has an excuse to stop working. We all have to, quote, work from home because <laughs> we have an Internet job. Right. Many people here work from home even when it is not snowing out. Who, who even came in here on that day? It was uh, Thursday. When 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 we had the big storm, I don't know. Interns. It was and, just interns. Yeah, interns. I think is it made up the whole crew. Here. We have really good interns. Yeah. Uh, well, we do pay our interns in case anyone's yeah, wondering. But I mean, in the defense of the rest of us, the interns live here in the office. They don't, <laughs> so they don't have to go anywhere. They sleep in the nap. Right. We have those right. cubbies. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we're not impressed that they were here. Anyway, no one came in, but everyone had to work. Mm-hmm. I worked a lot. Uh, my wife was kind of goofing off. Uh, so I didn't fully enjoy the snow day like I did in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not the same. I actually was thinking yesterday that I kind of am sad that I chose a profession where I don't really get a snow day. Cause... Now, when you're running the politics page, you use your laptop attached to a giant screen. Yes, and... when I'm here. But when I'm home, it's just just my laptop. Okay. Just the one. And so... What was that like? I mean, was it was it harder or? Uh... Uh, it sucks. It's hard to be a little focused on uh-huh. a snow day because no one's focused. Everybody wants to like. It was a goof. Right. Everybody wants to watch the snow and like drink hot chocolate and do whatever you do. Curl up on the couch and watch Indiana Jones, which I actually did do while I was working <laughs> yesterday. So I had that going on. Why did you watch that film? Because it uh... was on TV and it's a classic. <laughs> Harrison Ford was in the news this week. I know. Yes. So fitting. So I was just prepping in advance for that Harrison did Ford. Did you know? Did you know anything about this? I ha- that's the whole reason I'm here. I've got the sense about things. No, <laughs> I didn't know about Harrison Ford. No, it was just on TV and it was good. And who wants to watch, you know, news all day? Okay, MSNBC or, or Fox or CNN. So Nobody. people might not realize because we have a, a very basic uh, front pages or verticals, as we call them, and the politics page is is one of our biggest ones after the front page, mm-hmm. and it's essentially the same. Uh, and because it's so simple, I don't know if people realize how much sophisticated stuff goes into the way things are arranged on the page. Yeah, we think about a lot of things when we uh, put your news on the page. News um, stories by me and Jeff, for example. Right. We always put Arthur and Jeff at the very top of the page. <laughs> we appreciate that so much. <laughs> 
I know um, sometimes I, f- I file a stinker and it just out of no, pity. That's okay. You put it in that lower right hand side. <laughs> I give everybody, every, even the stinkers get a little bit of play on the politics page. That is somebody so nice. wants to read it. So, uh, no, we we just think about you know obviously what the big news is because you know when there's when there's news we have to cover it for the sake of it just being news and then uh, we also you know know what our readers like to like to read um, you know. We have an audience that loves to read about politics affecting actual human beings and mm-hmm. not just, you know, hearing about the goings on like from the Hill. Uh, it's kind of boring to read just about legislation happening or whatever. So, you know, when we, whenever we have real people stories, we feature those pretty, pretty heavily. And yeah, we know. had a couple real people stories we, this week we in did. particular that uh, people clicked on a whole lot. What were a couple of those? We had a few. So one that was uh, a little more fun uh, was our reporter Dana Liebelson. Is that how you say her name? Dana yes. Liebelson. <laughs> I never say anyone's name right. We so just wanted that. to make sure. We'll edit that out. Cut the fir- that the out. first three letters of her name spelled lie. Lie. But you don't yeah. say it that way. <laughs> that's, my, that's how I remember. Oh. Okay. Or lie and then liable. This is not good. Why did we hire him? Listen, it's it's Liebelson, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, she wrote a great story all about how she's never smoked weed, which is fascinating in itself. (laughs) But also she went to a weed convention, I think, here in D.C. and tried to score some legal weed because it's legal now. And I think she had a very hard time with it. Uh, But her just like the whole piece was very funny and very popular among our readers, you know, both on the page and everybody was sharing it on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, like I said, it's fascinating in itself that she's you, gotten this far in life without They smoking. don't sell weed at the weed convention. Right. You have to go through a process to get weed in D.C. now. It's not like Colorado where you can just walk into a place. Right. Well, for most people, the process is still buying it illegally from a drug dealer. <laughs> it's cheaper that way. Well, yeah. it's also, I mean, there's only the, 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 the medical dispensaries, the standards are really high, much <laughs> higher than – it's sort of a funny thing. The, the district's medical marijuana law was – passed so long ago that it's super strict because yeah. it was passed when that was still a new thing. Congress blocked it for, what, 10, 15 years? Yeah. And then when it finally went through, the rest of the country who had passed medical marijuana laws passed much more permissive ones. They lapped us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, exactly. But we can't change it, well, because Congress will block it again, much as they've sort of, we're in this weird gray legal area right now with possession of recreational weed where district law says it's legal, but Congress says it still isn't. Mm -hmm. So Dana's piece really underscored that despite legalization Mm -hmm. and all its wonders, there just isn't enough marijuana. Marijuana isn't just blooming on the sidewalks. (laughs) You can't get... What else was hot on politics? Uh, Well, we also had a lot of coverage of what was going on with the Ferguson, the DOJ's report on Ferguson, rather, which... Uh, really laid out a lot of the underlying racism that's there. Um, but what a really good piece that we had actually last night, which for those listening was Thursday, um, our reporter in Ferguson, Mariah, had a piece about so – so we have this reporter and she has a six-year-old kid. and Mariah Stewart. Mariah Stewart, thank you. Sorry. She, she, Mariah Stewart and her, and her child were at a fast food restaurant. And I mm-hmm. can't remember the one, but – um, and she saw this uh, drunken white man just shouting terrible things at another person who was in this drive-through line, um, a black woman, I think. And the guy, these, the the woman behind her was being screamed at by this dude in a truck right. behind the woman. I think he actually she threatened to call the cops, and he said, "Call him twice, I'm white," which yeah. is really like you could read everything that there is to be written about the DOJ's Ferguson report, but I mean that one sentence alone really sums up. 
the big issue there that they have. And so that was a really popular piece that, that we had. And that was the inside of the piece that yeah. the fact that this guy felt free yes. to say, call the police, t- said everything. Right. He was like, and not, not just the yelling and the fact that he was like, you know, essentially harassing this woman, but he was also visibly drunk in public. I think he might have been the one driving the car. So there were a lot of a lot of things going on in this situation. Um, and she... And and she wrote about it, too, also, you know, thinking about the whole time that this is happening, her six-year-old kid was there, like, very intimidated by the whole thing. And it really just takes a lot of the stuff you read about in the news with, you know, police and how they treat people, and specifically in Ferguson. And it gives it a face, you know, and it makes it a little more understandable, I think. And so that that first-person, real human being perspective is characteristic of a type of story that's typically successful— on yeah. the politics page. Yeah. It really relates the politics to what's going on. Yeah, people like to read about uh, other real people. You know, like I said, it's it's kind of boring to read about, you know, a piece of legislation. But then when you read about the effects of that happening to someone, it's like, you know, oh, crap, that could yeah. happen to me too. And um, it's a little more relatable. Probably the biggest story of the week was also something that a lot of people can relate to as human beings, the the Supreme Court Affordable Care Act case. And Jeff Young, you were there inside the court. Yeah, and just to, to sort of try to segue from what we were just talking about, you know, what makes this case so consequential and I think arguably more consequential than the previous Supreme Court cases involving the Affordable Care Act is that millions and millions of people are already signed up for this insurance. In 2012, when there was a constitutional uh, question about the law's individual mandate, um, no one had been subject to any of it yet. It was all sort of theoretical. Uh, And if that case had gone the other way, it would have screwed up um, the insurance market, um, but not nearly as badly as this case would. And just for people who haven't been following it, uh, to try and make this arcane stuff as simple as possible, you know, if you make up to four times the poverty level, you can get subsidies for your health insurance on these exchanges from the Affordable Care Act. There's one in every state. But in 34 states, the federal government is running the exchanges instead of the state because the state officials decided not to do so. It's mostly Republican states, but there are some exceptions like Delaware and Illinois, uh, New Jersey, where they're either Democratic or split, where they didn't do it for whatever reason. Anyway, this lawsuit says that because of the way one phrase in the statute is worded, uh, the federal government isn't allowed to give those subsidies to people in states that don't have state-run insurance exchanges. It's it's right. ridiculous. It yeah. But also, to build on the whole human thing, you did such a great piece this week, and I'm not just, like, tooting your horn here. but <laughs> toot <away. laughs> But you had such a good piece with, you know, six people telling how, you know, how this, this you know, they're following this so closely because it affects them. Right. So there are something on the order of, what, 8 million people in those 30-some states who have this kind of insurance right now. And about 85% or so of those people are subsidized. So uh, Sam Stein and I talked to six of those people in six different states just about what the insurance means to them and what they would do without the subsidies. And, you know, what we found was in a way obvious uh, most of those people would have to drop the insurance because they couldn't afford it without the subsidies. Their income's too low and the insurance is too expensive. Uh, but even the cases, uh, one guy in particular where, you know, he, this guy had had a history of cancer and he needs regular checkups for, to, for skin cancer. 
he said, well, I'll have to keep buying it. Um, another guy has a heart condition and he's going to need a major surgery sometime in the next year or so. And he's the same thing. Well, whatever I'll, I do, I'll have to buy it. So it might sound like in that case that those guys will be okay. Well, they'll figure it out. I guess they don't need the subsidies that much anyway. But setting aside how disruptive that would be to their lives and people talking about taking second jobs just to pay for their insurance, which again was part of what the affordable care was supposed to stop. But it gets even more complicated uh, and worse in a way because one of the consequences, if the court rules that these subsidies um, aren't legal and they and they end, they'll just stop going out. It could be like immediately. uh, It could be immediately this year. Justice Alito suggested maybe they could give states and Congress some time to figure out some way to to smooth the transition to something else. I don't know if that would work, but it's on the table, I guess. But so the the, the immediate consequence would be, as I said before, people would lose the subsidies and most of them would lose their insurance. But in a case like I was just saying with this guy who needs heart surgery, well, he's going to keep the insurance. He's going to get the heart surgery, right? If only people like him are buying the insurance, the prices are going to go up. And then a year later, a whole bunch more people won't be able to afford it and they'll stop buying it. And then that cycle will continue uh, until there's not very many people left in there and they're paying through the nose. Something that's the very death spiral. That's called a death spiral in the industry jargon. And it's not, just a, the- jargon. It's not just a theoretical thing. Um, in New York State, uh, especially in a few other places, um, you know, a decade or two ago, they passed some regulations saying, look, insurance companies can't turn down anybody and they have to charge everybody roughly the same amount of money for their premiums regardless of their medical history. So that sounds great in theory, but the result was lots of people with major health problems signed up for insurance and people who were just buying it for peace of mind couldn't afford it um, to the point where when Obamacare took effect at the beginning of last year, health insurance premiums in New York State went down by 50% on average because they were so high before. So you could see the same situation in 34 states. Let's have a 30,000-foot view of this challenge to the law. It's a law called the Affordable Care Act. And what the plaintiffs are saying is that Congress did not really intend for health care to be affordable for these people? Yeah, well, I mean, there's two big parts of the suit. The first and easiest part to explain, even though it sounds crazy, is that there's a line in the law that makes it look like what they're saying is true, right? Established by a state. Right. It says, an exchange established by a state. Okay, well, you know, if you isolate that out, you could say, well, I'm sorry, it says what it says. And that's basically what Justice Scalia said is, look, you know, what Congress meant to do is not my concern, I'm paraphrasing here, but if that's the law they wrote, that's the law they wrote, you know, and if you can't get around that, well, then that's just what it is. And Congress certainly isn't going to fix this. Um, they could have any time over the last five years, and they didn't. Um, but but the, the, the secondary part of the plaintiff's case here is that this is what Congress always intended. They only wanted subsidies to go to state-run exchanges. And that, um, that's what sounds very crazy. And, you know, I, I, I read their briefs. I saw the arguments yesterday. I also covered the writing of this legislation we, and its implementation we were pretty there. closely. Yeah. And that's just not true. Like, it just isn't. Um, and the court didn't seem – the justices, for the most part, during the oral arguments um, this week, didn't really – didn't really talk about that very much. Um, that is that I, I didn't hear a lot from, say, the conservative justices accepting as true this narrative built into the plaintiff's case, which, again, I believe is just false. 
Um, nor did I hear a whole lot from the liberal justices saying, hey, by the way, this thing you put in there is totally made up. It was a little bit of that. Wait, so that wasn't part of the argument? I it thought was, that was the core of the case. Well, no. Is it? I mean, in a legal sense, they have to look at, you know, what does that phrase that is the center of just, what, is it, what does it say uh-huh. and what is it meant to signal, right? Um, that's, it seemed that the justices were mainly concerned with that. Um, and then whether one interpretation, the plaintiffs, that this was intended to push states to make their own exchanges by saying, if you don't, we're going to deny financial assistance to your citizens while still regulating the health insurance markets in your state in such a way that will cause prices to rise. Um, or the government's position, which is what, no, that's crazy. Uh, this was supposed to be for the whole country. It's pretty damn obvious if you look at the bill and everything we ever said about it ever. Um, but you know, so from so we're sort of looking at like, well, the justices were talking about if we accept one of those interpretations, what are the implications for the states? What are the implications? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Applications for the relationship between the federal government and the states in a constitutional basis. Yeah. Um, and then if you accept the government's version, well, what does that say about the relationship between the federal government and the states? Um, it was hard to tell, really, how this was going to play out. I thought it, people said Anthony Kennedy would be, do the classic swing justice thing and side with the liberals. Right. Well, going into it, it you know, I mean, the, the, the Supreme Court is so predictably partisan about most things that there are nine of them and essentially seven at all times are considered locks for one way or another, or maybe more, maybe I should say six. Yeah. You know, the three most liberal ones and the three most conservative ones, you can pretty much count them to fall on the other side, which doesn't, which leaves three people in the middle, r- roughly, including Chief Justice John Roberts. Going into this particular case, Roberts and Kennedy were kind of seen by people who know more about this stuff and how the court works than I do as the ones who were relatively more likely to side with the government in this case and against the plaintiffs in a way that would preserve the way Obamacare is operating right now. All right. Uh, Well, now just predict what's going to happen. Just say it. I I can't. Come on. Yes, you can. So uh, what I will say is this, and I've been thinking this all along, and this is really vague, or maybe that's the wrong word for it, but, you know... If you remember back three years ago, the Supreme Court had a chance to, to, to seriously damage the Affordable Care Act before it had really gone into effect. And John Roberts went out of his way to not do that. And everyone, everyone was surprised. People predicted right. our own 
Supreme Court reporter at that time said, walked out of the oral yeah. argument, said, this sucker's going down. Right. And he was famously wrong. So John Roberts ended up voting with the four liberals in that case uh, and wrote, wrote an opinion kind of surprising people by deciding that the individual mandate was constitutional because Congress is allowed to tax people, which was not really a main part of the argument at the time. So my thinking is, and again, this is <laughs> this, th- maybe this is silly. But I've been thinking all along, John Roberts had a chance to kill this thing three years ago, and he chose not to and went to great lengths to do so and made a lot of people very upset, right? People who would normally like him and agree with him. So why do it now, especially in such a weird way over such an arcane dispute about how to interpret a six-word phrase in a statute that's like 900 So, so you're predicting he won't do it. That's great. I, I just don't know. And as, far, and, and as far as Kennedy goes, you know, there are some elements here that people saw, of the argument that, that people thought he'd be uh, sympathetic toward the plaintiffs, and one of them was that – sorry, toward the government, and one of them is that the plaintiff's argument – would mean that the Congress wrote a law that is unconstitutionally coercive to states. As Kennedy said, uh, to paraphrase, to, to the plaintiff's lawyers, like, well, based on what you're saying, the, 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 the rule here from Congress is enact an exchange in your state at expense and trouble to you, the state, or we will destroy your health insurance market. And then Congress – and then no one ever actually told the states that. They didn't. Right. I was there so too. It the wasn't reason, a thing. The reason everyone zeroed in on that is that the people were looking to Kennedy and Roberts for any kind of sign that they would do something other than just vote on a partisan basis, and he gave one. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean – that he's going to vote to preserve the Affordable Care Act. We can't – we just can't can't really know. Also, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Jeff Young predicted the Supreme Court will uphold Obamacare, <laughs> our own magical eight ball. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> All right. All right, Jeffrey Young has tagged out for labor reporter Dave Jamison. Dave, say hello. Hello. Dave has been covering Scott Walker, one of the uh, heroes of the politics page. (laughs) Uh, A major bringer of clicks. Yeah. And Dave actually went out to Wisconsin. Scott Walker is the hero of the politics, (laughs) right? Hero in one sense. Perhaps villain to some. No, I wanted to be clear that I'm not the hero, that Scott Walker is it's the hero. It's definitely not you. It's definitely <laughs> Scott Walker. You're one of his helpers. <laughs> his minions. I do carry his message, absolutely. You do. And uh, Scott Walker's been huge in particular, I think mainly because he's got pr- presidential contender status. And uh, some people might be missing what he's actually doing. Not Dave Jameson, though. Mm-hmm. Dave Jameson was there. Yeah, people are really passionate about Scott Walker, and we're we're seeing those passions again this week. <laughs> uh, the, the Republican lawmakers in Wisconsin were fast-tracking this right-to-work bill, and we can get into a little explaining of what exactly right-to-work is. Um, but this was kind of a a small-scale repeat of what we saw in 2011 when, when there the was massive a, protest. a massive, massive protest when Walker and Wisconsin Republicans were, were stripping collective bargaining rights from the public sector workers. Uh, this time, they were, they're, they're going after the private sector unions, and 
it was interesting being out there and you can visibly see kind of how diminished the organized labor is there. You know, there was like 100,000 people out there in 2011. Huge, huge protest. Huge. I mean, this was like kind of an inspiration for Occupy. That was like a huge. I think it directly uh, bequeathed the Occupy movement, those this, Wisconsin it, protests. It was the best like signal of of some kind of labor resurgence you know in years this time uh there was a few thousand people each day as opposed to a hundred thousand well, well wait a minute didn't well scott walker there were those big protests and he he licked them he kicked their butt he did he licked them yeah they tried to recall him uh and it didn't work they did uh it did not work uh he he is he's he's still standing after all of that and that's 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 part of his part of his aura and why he's He's such a, a, a hot shot on the right. But is in terms of the right to work, which was just passed by the Wisconsin Assembly like an hour ago. So this thing is happening. It happened this week on Friday. Walker said he's going to sign it. So what right to work does, a lot of people don't know. First of all, the first thing to know is that right to work as a term is a, a right wing creation, right? It sounds it sounds wonderful, yeah, it doesn't it? Yeah, like a really good thing. Yeah, yes, I would appreciate having a right to work. It's, uh, it's similar to like tort reform as, as a piece of language. It is kind of the right winning right off the bat kind of winning winning the language war with this one but what right to work does is so say this this office were unionized strictly theoretical ariana (laughs) (laughs) theoretical if we were if we were unionized our 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 uh union say the the united aggregators of america (laughs) our union the uaa would have to represent everybody in here, whether the union, even if even, even Page if, Lavender say Page <laughs> voted against the union, Page didn't want the want the union, but the union wins the election, Page still has to be represented by the union. That costs money, right? So the UAA wants a contract with AOL that says <laughs> everybody's got to chip in their share of, of of fees to support the union, since the union's got a bargain for everybody. What Right to Work does is make contracts like that illegal. So it, they essentially give anybody the the opportunity to opt out of paying their fair share fees to the union. So what happens then, say D.C. goes right to work. It'll never happen. But say D.C. goes right to work. All of a sudden, Paige is like, sweet, here's my chance to, to stop paying paying dues, and I'm going to get that extra 1% in my, in my paycheck. Get a little raise. Yeah. So Paige drops out quietly. Then, then we have we have already looking over at Page, and he's like, "Well, if Page is out of here, then then like, why should I be supporting the union?" This is what what, we, what unions call the freeloading problem or free riding. Yeah. And so I'm standing over here, and I was rock solid before, but now I'm seeing other people drop out, and I'm actually watching our union get weaker. There's less the union can do. So then I actually have legitimate reason to be like, "Is this really worth my money?" So it's you know? a it's a death spiral. It, yes, that that's in theory that that is the worst case scenario for unions that it becomes a death spiral. Well, and even with like if there are union diehards who even if everyone else is leaving the union, and they're in it. Doesn't it raise fees for them? It that, makes it more expensive for them to still be in it. Yeah, I, that, that's part of it. You know, it, 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 what it does is it makes a smaller, an ever-shrinking portion mm-hmm. of, of, of the unit is, is having to, to bear the load for everybody. Yeah, so th- it can lead to, to, uh, to, to dues hikes down the road and that sort of thing. 
Um, so it's this can be very problematic for unions. Indiana and Michigan passed their right to work laws in 2012, and and Wisconsin doing this. You know, to like step back for a minute here, for like years and years, right to work was this thing that was just in the South and out West. You know, South is traditionally very anti-union. Um, and, and there's a, a very, you know, a longstanding racial component to this, too, in the South. Um, but recently, this stuff has been popping up in the Midwest. Mi- Michigan and Indiana both went right to work in 2012. And that's a huge deal, especially Michigan, the cradle of the auto industry. The UAW, uh, always a, a, a huge union stronghold, goes right to work. Uh, boom. And now all of a sudden you've got other states around them, like Wisconsin, who are saying, hey, our neighbors are right to work. We got to go right to work to, too, to or, be competitive. Yeah, we got to be competitive or, or businesses are going to flee or they're not going to want to come here. They're going to go over the line to to that state. So th- that's the argument you're seeing here. And, and there's a bit of a domino effect to it. Um, but but now, no, one, no one's in unions anyway outside the public sector. What is the rate of union it's, membership? It's about 6.6% in oh the private sector. Oh, my God. Sector. That's, uh, that's so, low. Yes. Yeah, so it, the term big labor that you hear is, is kind of preposterous at this point. Sort of a misnomer. It, it is. It is. Um, so – but this is – you know, these laws are, are going to – very it, in all likelihood kind of diminish uh, the, the the union's private sector footprint even more. So arguably, this is the most consequential Scott Walker news, but I don't think it's like the tallest peak in the landscape, the topography of Scott Walker news that we have seen in the past two weeks. Not in the past two weeks. No, a lot of people, uh, he refused to answer a question about evolution or something it's like he's gone out and deliberately done a series of gaffes yes to give us clips <laughs> yeah that's he's, what it is can we surrounded by rakes right can, and he keeps stepping on them but yeah. i think he does it on purpose what can you fill us in on, on where he's at right now Paige? so while all of this was going down in wisconsin walker wasn't even really there he was in the uk for one thing he kind of followed Chris Christie to London and did a trip abroad. And that's where he made the evolution comment or rather didn't comment on it. He He said, I I punt. Yeah, he just punted. He literally said, I'm punting the question and and just didn't answer it. Um, And then followed that up with a series of tweets. And so it turned into this like two day news story that people were following. Um, And then after that, he was at CPAC where he was very loved and And, you know, uh, he gave a speech there and people generally accepted it in a good way. The CPAC attendees, I mean. He he is like here. They are happy because he's the plausible alternative to Jeb Bush. Right. Yeah. And especially after the whole like Christie Bridgegate thing and his troubles now, Walker seems to be a pretty solid. And he's and he's not, you know, he's he's conservative. I mean, he proved with the 2011 stuff that he can stand up for conservative values and win. You know, he's got that to brag about now. So he's kind of a conservative rock star. He has a social bona fides that, that yeah. better than Christie in terms yes. of conservatism. Yeah, so he was kind of, he wasn't even in Wisconsin for a lot of this uh, during the debate over the legislation and stuff. And um, he, he, he had some other notable gaffe the type. Christianity. The Christianity. Christianity. Yes, yes. He said he did. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that one. Thank you for the reminder. Well, arguably the best of the bunch. And it, well, I liked the evolution one personally. But yes, you're right that he said he didn't know if I Obama. I just don't know. He said he didn't know if Obama loved America, I think was like what a lot of people really grabbed onto was in which, you know, like, does your president love the country that he's president of is is a little, I mean, to me, that's a dumb question. But it became an argument with yeah. uh, with mainstream and liberal commentators ridiculing it and explaining how it could not possibly be so 
And then, like, the National Review saying, you know what? Barack Obama doesn't love America. <laughs> and I think they even had other, you know, of course, when one person says something, everyone wants everybody else to weigh in. So I think you even had a lot of other potential 2016 candidates weighing in as well. You know, like, I don't know if I think Bobby Jindal made some comments on it. Maybe. But no one asked him. And Bobby Jindal said, hey, hey, yeah. you know what? I also <laughs> yeah. don't know. Don't, you know, don't don't look to me to settle it's this. It's like, I'm still well, we weren't, here. Bobby. We weren't looking to you. Right. But thanks. That's the, yeah, that's why he said that. He wanted to make sure someone out there was looking at him because he's The Christianity still, thing, yeah. I, like, Walker had a point to me personally. Like, I kind of agree with him when he says, this is a stupid question and none of the people that I represent in Wisconsin really care about this thing. But... The way to say that is when you're asked, is Obama a Christian, you say, of course he's a Christian. This is a stupid question. Why are you asking me this? Instead, yeah. he says he well, doesn't, you know, that he doesn't know. It, it, it was handled in a really weird, dumb way, but I, I think he had an underlying point that he could have could have made without kind of, you know, offending the president. Well, and on, basically. on top of that, too, like, yeah, maybe he was saying, well, this is dumb. I'm not going to talk about it. But then didn't he send like a fundraising email yeah. saying, you know, look at me, how great I am for not answering this dumb question. Give me some money. Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. not think that he deliberately wants to appear? He's, he's putting himself in a position where it appears he is under attack by the media, that he doesn't want that. He could want that. I mean, I don't. Know that I can say definitively, yeah. But I think, especially for a Republican, yeah. being is that the media is largely seen as a liberal monster. You know, it definitely doesn't hurt his case to have everybody on on his case. You know, now, Dave, the right to work stuff that he's doing in Wisconsin, we know it, it. You know, because I guess it's complicated and takes more than one sentence to explain. Actually, can I button? I would say for people listening. Uh, Dave did write a piece called "How Right to Work uh, Hurts Unions." Very, very good. It clicked. It was well. It was. It clicked. It clicked. But also, <laughs> I thought it was very good. good. <laughs> no, yeah, it's not just about the clicks. It was a good explainer, especially you know if you if you haven't been following the news and you're like hearing about suddenly yeah. this right to work stuff, especially now that he's going to sign it. I'm sure it'll be more. I, I should apologize to both of you. <laughs> I mean, I just take it for granted Hello. that Dave's stuff is good, <laughs> and I should not take it for granted that Paige was referring to the clicks. <laughs> no, I thought but it, it was did good click, work. right? It did click, but also it's. Very good writing, uh, a really good explainer. Thank I you, thought, Paige. yeah. So it was in, it was in the sweet spot. So so how so where so okay all right. Where does the substantive policy achievement of Scott Walker uh, fit in the overall story about him right now, where he's uncertain of Obama's Christianity and punts on a question about evolution. Right to work is a great example of that because we we see over the years how Scott Walker has evolved on right to work. <laughs> when he was a state legislator like 20 years ago, he actually put forth a right to work bill. As governor, he has dodged this over and over. He, he has said repeatedly, I think it would be a distraction. I have no interest in this. Because Wisconsin is supposed to be a liberal bastion. Here's the thing. Walker has called private sector unions uh, his partner in economic development. The, the, the operating engineers are very powerful in Wisconsin, and they're very actually pretty conservative. They've endorsed Walker before. Uh, a lot of people thought he didn't want this, and the reason they thought he didn't want it is because he is already, like— you know, famous for, for breaking unions. That, that yeah, is, do you need another feather in your not. cap, the whole, Scott Walker? What everybody was telling me before this started happening was, oh, you know, there's no need to check the box again. 
and this is just going to bring all this heat again to Madison. Uh, they were wrong. Of course. Did, the heat was gone. The, well, you were there. Yes. And yeah, what, I was and there last week. The yeah, heat the heat, small. The heat it was nothing like the heat in 2011. Um, but Walker, so so Walker proposed the right to work years ago. As governor, he's saying, I don't want this. It's not going to happen. He, he said in a debate with Tom Barrett, he said, this will never get to my desk. Hmm, but and, Bar- it- and Barrett said, mark my words. <laughs> when it gets to his desk, he will sign it. And then, so this starts getting fast-tracked, and Walker says, yeah, I'll sign it. And now, to, to evolve even further, this week he was, he was trying to take credit for it. You know, he was that, talking to a business lobby saying, you know, you know we brought this up. It's right to work's coming. Uh, it, it was the, be a great the same pattern with his union busting in 2011. He didn't campaign on it, period. Yes. And then he took it up with gusto eventually. Paige, I wonder if you think this – let's let this be our final thought. As, as Walker's going forward – and being a presidential person is his habit of uh, doing things that he did not say he would do at first. Is that going to hurt him or is it, is it just not matter? I think – I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but I don't know that it will hurt him to say like, oh, I did right to work. and Because, you know, like we just said, so many people were following other things in the news this week, not really paying attention to the whole right to work debate. Because we had that snowstorm. Because we had that snowstorm to bring it back to the beginning. Um, Yeah. And then so I think that for people who weren't following the story from day one, uh, for him to stand up, let's say hypothetically at a GOP primary debate for 2016 and say, oh, well, you know, we did right to work. I think a lot of people, you know, just generally watching it, casual followers of politics won't really question it. And so it only will help people him. in Wisconsin know this this stuff. So it'll it'll help him perhaps on his way through the all important and difficult, treacherous Republican primary. Yes, I think that I think that it will help. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thanks, guys, for being here. Yay, thanks. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced and edited by Ibrahim Balki with technical direction from Brad Shannon and assistance from Christine Canetta and Adriana Ucero. I'm Arthur Delaney, and this week we were joined by HuffPost senior politics editor Paige Lavender, healthcare reporter Jeff Young, and workplace reporter Dave Jameson. So That Happened is available on iTunes. Check us out in the iTunes store for the Huffington Post's whole family of podcasts. Subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. As always, thanks for listening, and we miss you already. One take Delaney. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.